Well, good morning, church. How's it going? Is it going good? Good. Woo. People are awake in church this morning. That's always a bonus. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you for joining with us. Uh, thank you if you've joined in with us online as well. We want to say you are welcome here in church as part of the church family. It is so good to gather together today. So we're going to dive right into it. Over the last six weeks, if you've been coming along to church or you've been tuning in online, you'll know that we've been working through a series that's called Beatitudes Attitudes. And it's taking a look at the, a look at the Beatitudes teaching in the book of Matthew, that passage of teaching from Jesus. And uh, in the video we've just watched, we've just seen that read out to us in its entirety. Um, today we're going to be looking at what it means to be a peacemaker for the kingdom and how we can do this in our lives each day. But before we do that, let's just take a look at today's verse together. Today's verse is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Before we get into this together, church, why don't we pray? Lord God, I ask that you would come and meet with us here this morning. We know that you're here already by your Spirit. And we are so blessed by the way you've been ministering and to us as we've worshipped you this morning. And, and I pray, God, I just pray that you would inhabit this moment as we look at your word together, that you would speak to us, that you would meet with us. And Lord God, would you change us as only you can change us? We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, I want to tell you a story about the island of Ireland, that wonderful, blessed, holy place that I come from. <laughs> Whew, is this a new thing? Are we going to clap every time I mention Ireland now? Let's try it. Ireland! Hey! <laughs> well, that was unexpected. Um, it's actually, it's quite funny. I, I used to joke, earlier in my faith, I used to joke a lot that uh, there was typos in the Bible, and actually Ireland was the Holy Land, and the Irish were God's chosen people, not Israel. But you'll be happy to know that since then, I've become very mature in the faith, and I've put the times of heresy behind me. Hallelujah. But Ireland, my goodness, if you've never been there, you need to go. But today, I just want to tell you a story about Ireland I also want to tell you about a story, a story about a guy called George Mitchell, who was an American former senator and a diplomat, and just how these two stories connect. A little history lesson about the island of Ireland for you, for those of you who may not be aware. Um, about a thousand years ago, Ireland was a collection of provinces with different local tribes and chiefs. And uh, it wasn't really known as, as a country in the same way that we would know it today. But about 800 years ago, it became part of the British Empire, and it is a, it is a former British colony. Um, but in 1921, there was a division in Ireland, and 26 counties of the country became an independent republic, the country that we would call Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. And then there were six counties that remained part of the United Kingdom and became the country of Northern Ireland. Now, this was an interesting development because it's been 100 years now since this happened. But what you have in Northern Ireland is you have a load of people who live there who identify as and feel really truly in the depths of their heart that they are Irish in the Republic of Ireland sense. 
And you also have a collection of people there who believe deeply in the depths of their heart that they are British and they are part of the United Kingdom. And so it became this question, what is the proper and correct designation for Northern Ireland? Who should it belong to? Who should, what should it be a part of? And suffice to say, historically, there has since been a lot of tensions around this. There's been a lot of conflict, there's been a lot of argument, there's been a lot of opinion, and unfortunately there has actually been a lot of bloodshed as well. It's part of the, the tapestry and the history of the island of Ireland, my home country, that unfortunately it did lead to a lot of conflict, a lot of casualties, a lot of killings, a lot of death. Um, in fact, particularly in the 60s, there was an escalation of aggression which became came to be known as the Troubles. And for about 30 years, there was conflict between people loyal to the British crown on one side and people fighting for a completely united Republic of Ireland on the other. And in that time, about 3,500 people died um, and many, many more injured. Um, and for those of you who are here from the UK and have lived in the UK over the last 30, 40 years, you'll know that actually the conflict didn't just stay in Ireland either, that the, U the UK mainland was also touched by this conflict. We know that there was um, bombings and attacks in London, in Manchester, in Birmingham, and uh, I'm sure that there's many people in the room have their own recollections, their own memories from that time. From the mid-80s, there was a, a more earnest attempt on behalf of both parties to try and find a peaceful solution for Northern Ireland. But it wasn't easy, it was quite difficult, and to be honest with you, it wasn't that fruitful. They weren't really getting anywhere. It was really difficult to try and find peace between two opposing views that seemingly could never be reconciled. And actually, this is where Mr. George Mitchell comes in. Now, there were many different factors that came into this sort of situation, but one of the key contributions into what would become known as the peace process in Ireland was the involvement of the United States government and the Clinton administration, President Bill Clinton. And he had managed to get leaders from the opposing parties on both sides actually to commit to attempting further peace talks. And it was this man, Mr. George Mitchell, that was sent as an envoy and as a diplomat to be the chair for these talks. And it was no easy task. Long story short, these talks were successful. And on the 10th of April, 1998, what, be, what came to be known as the Good Friday Agreement was signed by the rival parties. As part of this agreement, there was agreement around um, if you lived in Northern Ireland, you could consider yourself to be British or Irish, you could have dual nationality, you could choose. Effectively, it allowed people in Northern Ireland to choose whether they saw themselves as Irish or British. Um, but also as part of that, the, the, the paramilitary organizations that were doing a lot of the bloodshed and a lot of the fighting agreed to disarm and pursue a political solution in Northern Ireland rather, one, rather than one that would be won through bloodshed or through fighting or through attacks. Now, it would really be overstating it to say that it's been a 100% smooth sailing since then. Um, but the fact is that this moment was a line in the sand for the history and the makeup of Ireland and the story that would be told from that moment forth. If you think about it, there were generations of people who all they had ever known was conflict. Yes, we had the troubles from the 60s to 
the late 90s, but you also, before that, in the earlier part of the 20th century, had had the Irish War of Independence, the Irish Civil War, and there was generations of people for whom they only knew bloodshed, they only knew attack, they only knew rancor and conflict. And actually, because of this agreement, because of this peace process and the Good Friday Agreement, there was a new opportunity for peace. And a whole new generation of people could grow up in Ireland and not see it constantly associated with these kinds of troubles. And now, to this day, some of the tensions remain. A lot of the conversations are still happening. So there is an ongoing need for peacemaking in the north of Ireland. But this was a moment that was a line in the sand. And I just think it's really powerful, considering what we're going to talk about today, that you have... And you have two opposing sides in a really bitter conflict, and you have a third party coming in and being the chair and the peacemaker for this division. Now, the name George Mitchell is not a particularly famous one outside of Ireland or outside of America, but here's what the parties involved in these discussions had to say for him. On the Republican side that wanted there to be a united Ireland, officials said, Senator Mitchell's role was indispensable to the success of the negotiation process and to securing the Good Friday Agreement. There can be no doubt that without his patience, without his stamina, the outcome would have been very different. And then on the other side, on the side that was loyal to the Crown and wanted Northern Ireland to stay part of the UK, they said he was extremely capable and fair a very genuine person who gave everything he had to make the process work. I don't think anybody else could have done what he did. It was a remarkable political balancing act. It was actually said that it was only because of his statesmanship, because of his patience, and because of his presence, that he was able to bring together to a point of agreement people who previously would not have even been in the same building, let alone the same room together. And it's no exaggeration to say that it is one of the greatest examples of political diplomacy and modern-day peacemaking that we could ever point to. So that is just one example of what it looks like to be a peacemaker that gets involved in a situation and brings peace to a conflict on both sides. So that's the end of our history lesson just now. Are you still with me? Good. That's good. It's good that you're still with me. <laughs> So let's take a look at, what, at, the, at the word peacemaker in a bit more of a broad sense. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? The dictionary definition of a peacemaker is a person, a group, or a nation that tries to make peace, especially by reconciling parties who disagree, quarrel, or fight. Now this beatitude said, says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Now, and just an important clarification around this. This is not talking about our salvation. So it's not saying you must be a peacemaker or else you will not be saved. <laughs> you must be a peacemaker or else you don't know Jesus. In fact, it's the other way around. If we know Jesus, if we are saved, if we are in the kingdom of God, the word says that it is a natural thing that we would be a peacemaker. What this beatitude means is the reason we will be called children of God because we're peacemakers is because we will be so like Jesus. Because we will be like our heavenly Father, therefore we will be called children of God. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Cool. So let's look at Jesus' example because we know that we are called to live as peacemakers. So how did he live? 
The truth is he was the greatest peacemaker in history. He was the greatest peacemaker we ever have record of. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, he was talking to his disciples about sending them out to preach the gospel to the surrounding towns. And he said to them, as you enter a home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. But if it is not, let your peace return to you. He said later on in John chapter 14, when he was talking about how the Holy Spirit was going to come and be our comforter, and he was going to go, he said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, but don't let your heart be troubled, and don't let yourself be afraid. He said a little bit later in John chapter 16, when he was talking again about how he must go, and what would happen in the life of the world to come, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. These scriptures leave us no doubt that we have a peace that can only come from Jesus, that we are to carry this peace within us, and that we are to impart and share this peace wherever we can, because peace is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And as believers, we know that the kingdom of God is now, but also not yet. And there will be a day when heaven meets earth and the kingdom is established in the fullness of its glory. But until that time comes, we are to usher in the kingdom in every single area that we can. We are to do our part. We are to partner with the Spirit of God. And one of the main ways we do that is by being peacemakers to our world, peacemakers in our lives, reconciling people with one another and also reconciling people with God. Amen? Amen. So, if I was to tell you one thing that I'd want you to take away today, I always do this because then I know at least you'll take away one thing, um, it would be, take this phrase away with you. As people of God, we are called to be peacemakers in every situation, reconciling people with each other and reconciling people with God. That is our calling. But how do we get there? That's the question. How do we get there? So I want to give you three Ps, because we love alliteration in this church. I want to give you three Ps about how we can be a peacemaker the way that the Bible describes. First of all, we want to talk about the personal. And this is the truth. We, we cannot be peacemakers in a broken and fallen world unless we first have the peace of God in our hearts. Amen? We first need the peace of God in our hearts. It needs to be deep. It needs to hold us steady in every situation. It needs to be a peace that is not easily broken or swayed. In fact, the Bible talks about it as a peace that passes all understanding. It also talks about it, the Apostle Paul talks about it in his letters when he says, we have this sure and steadfast hope, which is an anchor for our soul. That is an illustration of the peace of God in our lives. And that's the kind of peace that we should carry as believers. But the truth is, it's really not easy, is it? Hands up if you've had a good sort of year and a half or so. <laughs> There's like a low groan coming from the room. <laughs> Hands up if you've had a good year. Oh. <laughs> All right, so we're laughing about it. But the truth is, it's been a really difficult time. It's been a really difficult time. Everybody you know has been going through something. Um, not just the pandemic, but the pandemic was like a pressure cooker that almost made everything else worse as well. Um, everybody has had trials. Everybody has had challenges. Everybody has had difficulties over the last year and a half. So how do we have that peace that holds us firm even when the whole world is shaking? 
the good news is that as followers of Jesus, we have everything we need within us already to access and to maintain that peace. Now, a minute ago, we looked at John chapter 14, and I said Jesus talked about how he's leaving his peace with us, and about how he talked about it in the context of how the Holy Spirit was going to come and live in our hearts. So, so let's make that connection. Let's join up the dots here. Jesus is leaving us his peace. The Holy Spirit is coming to live in our hearts, and that will be one of the ways that we access that peace but also in the Bible and how he's often referred to, a Holy Spirit is often referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. So if we join up all the dots, Jesus himself as the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. So it's not just a peace he's leaving with us and abandoning us. Jesus himself comes into our heart to be our very present peace. Amen. Are you still with me? Yeah. Thank you. I'm going gonna, gonna to ask you to talk back to me sometimes because I'm very extroverted, and if you just keep letting me talk, I will just keep talking. So it's good for you to interrupt me from time to time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so what does this mean? How do we access this peace? Again, we look to Jesus. We look to his example. Look at Jesus' life. Look at the Gospels. Look at his behavior patterns. He was the Son of God. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And even he knew that the way to access peace was to, from time to time, take himself away and spend time in prayer with the Father via the Holy Spirit. Consistent, prayerful relationship with God is one of the ways that we will maintain it. We, we have this peace from God because of the work that Jesus has done in the cross. We are in Christ. We are united with God. So we have access to that peace as believers, but we maintain it in the way that we live our lives by making sure that we go away, that we take time with God away from the mess. Sometimes we just need to ignore distraction and make time with God. Amen? Amen. Think of Jesus at Gethsemane, which is the garden he was in praying before he was arrested and before he went to the cross. He was burdened. He was burdened enough that he sweated blood. He was burdened enough that he asked his father, Father, if it is your will for this to be taken from me, please can it be taken from me? But here is the clincher. He landed on, but not my will but your will be done, O God. And that is the example of what it's like to have that first P, personal peace. Okay, so number one, personal peace. Number two, people. That's your second P, people, which speaks to peace in our relationships. The truth is we may have that personal peace in our heart, but we cannot take on the mission of being peacemakers to the world around us if we are still in conflict or in any difficult situation with anyone in our own relationships. Before we can go and be peacemakers to the world, we have to be peacemakers with the people God has placed in our lives. In as much as it's in our power to do so, we have to live at peace with our family, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our fellow church community people. We have to live at peace with one another. 
and at every opportunity seek to get rid of misunderstanding, seek to get rid of conflict, seek to get rid of awkwardness, and seek to extend grace and peace. Now, don't hear me wrong. Peace, peacemaking is not the same as peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is like a gentle, wet thing that, and gentleness is not bad, but peacekeeping is like a wet thing that it's like, I will avoid conflict at all costs, even if it's the cost of somebody's well-being, even if the cost is my own integrity, even if the cost is a situation going wrong where it could have went right. So peacemaking and peacekeeping are not the same thing. The truth is that biblical, godly peacemaking will sometimes run towards conflict, not away from conflict, but will seek to do it in a way that is godly, that is gracious, that is kind, and that is restorative. Also, it's really important to know that peacemaking also doesn't mean that you just give whoever and however access to your life to hurt you again and again and again. Now, I'm talking about relationships here, and I know that when I'm talking about how we need to be peacekeepers and peace, sorry, peacemakers in our relationships, we need to restore those. We need to be forgiving. We need to be gracious. There's part of you that's going, oh, but there's that one person, and all they have ever been for you in your life is pain and hurt and toxicity, and actually they are a dangerous person in your life. Peacemaking does not mean that you give that person free reign to walk all over you. In this particular situation, I think peacemaking just looks like a journey between you and God to release that person from your own journey, to forgive as much as you can forgive, to let go of guilt, to let go of shame, and to find some closure to move on. Amen? Amen. I think... I want us to, uh, every, every single point, we're going to come back and take a look at Jesus' example. But just before we do that, there's a quote from Martin, Martin Luther King when we're talking about like this whole conflict and peace thing. It's important to remember that sometimes justice needs to be sought. This event that we've got on this afternoon, all of the prayers and all of the work that's been gone towards racial, uh, to, to eradicate racial injustice, to seek to establish racial justice, there is, I mean, if that's not an act of peacemaking what is it? If that's not an act of peacemaking, what is it? The, the, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he, he said that true peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. True peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. So sometimes there needs to be some conflict for the right reasons. But as much as we can, as much as it is in our power to do so, we need to be forgiving gracious, kind, and introducing peace to all of our relationships. Let's look at Jesus' example. Look at the Apostle Peter. A couple of months back, I spoke about Peter and his confession of Jesus, and, uh, of Jesus as the Messiah, and one of the things we talked about was about how there was nobody that had recognized Jesus more fully for who he truly was, no, nobody who had seen Jesus for who he truly was more and yet Peter denied him three times. He betrayed him, he abandoned him, and he left him for dead, quite literally. But we know that isn't where the journey ended because Jesus, when he rose again and he appeared to the disciples in those 40 days, he restored Peter. He forgave him, he restored his calling, he put his call back upon his life, and he gave him direction, and he brought peace to his weakest moment. 
So Jesus' example is that. And I think our response, if we want to be people who have peace in the relationships in our life, is that we just ask God to reveal any relationships that need restoration and forgiveness and also any relationships that just need closure. So ticking along, first P is personal. Second P is people. Third P is place. Because if we are to be peacemakers to this city, to this nation, to our world, we need to be understanding that our mission of peacemaking does not end when our own heart and our own relationships are right. In fact, we are to be peacemakers to our world around us. Now, I cannot be a peacemaker to the whole world, but I'll tell you something. If I'm a peacemaker to my world, if Sheila's a peacemaker to her world, if Dami's a peacemaker to his world, if Themi is a peacemaker to her world, then we will have a people of God that is a vibrant presence of peacemaking in our city. And we will be astonished at the things that God will do through us, church. We will be astonished at the things that God will do through us. Amen? Amen. Now, it's easy to look at the world around us at the moment and go, ah, how do you even get started? But the truth is, the burden doesn't fall on us completely. One day in the future, we know, we talked about it earlier, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is coming. And we know that one day in the future, heaven will come down to earth. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, will return in the fullness of his glory. And everything that is not yet new will be made new. And there will be no more need for peacemakers because all of creation will be at peace. And if we know that that is coming, then we know that right now the power of God and the Spirit of God is at work in our world today, bringing peace in ways that we cannot even imagine. So it's not actually about us dreaming up or or manufacturing opportunities to be peacemakers. It's about us trying to get alongside that which the Spirit of God is already doing. That which the Spirit of God is already doing. What if every time we stepped foot in our workplace or in our street or in our town or even in our church, we ask God, Lord, how can I be your peacemaker in this place today? How can I be your peacemaker in this place today? What if we were a people that were about the thousand little ordinary ways that God could use us? Because the truth is, when we pray that prayer, God will answer us. He will give us opportunity. Now, the truth is that every so often, that opportunity will be big and glamorous and dramatic and make headlines. 99% of the time, it's just going to be the little ordinary things we can do to be a peacemaker in the places that God has called us to. So maybe don't rush past that person with a quick hello. Maybe stop and look them full in the face. Maybe offer somebody a coffee. Maybe arrange to meet up with somebody safely. Maybe just take the little opportunities as God nudges you to be a peacemaker. Because if we are all peacemakers in a thousand little ways, then we are going to have a whole lot of peacemaking going on in our church, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities. Again, let's look to Jesus. Let's think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He climbed a tree to see Jesus because he knew Jesus would be moving through town. Being a tax collector, he was not liked by the Jews or by the Romans. 
He was a social outcast. He was disliked by many people, and probably a lot of it was well-earned because he had treated people very, very poorly and cheated them out of their money. Now, if you know this story, you know the end of the story, which is that Zacchaeus had a complete change of heart, a complete transformation of character. He gave away over half of what he owned, and he repaid everybody that he had swindled out of money four times over. That's the end of the journey, but what was the start? Jesus looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have dinner together. A simple little gesture. Jesus saw Zacchaeus and looked at him like nobody else would, like nobody else could, like only somebody that was full of the Spirit of God and in step with the Holy Spirit could. And the truth is that the outcome of this wasn't just that Zacchaeus ended up with the peace of God. No, no, Jesus said the last line in this story, salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus, salvation. So do not underestimate the power that these small gestures of community and peacemaking can have. I'd like to ask the worship team to come back, please. In a moment, we are going to, we're going to worship, and then we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask for the peace of God to be released to all of us in, in many different ways. So even right now, please just begin to open up your hearts, and just open yourself to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in this moment. I, I want to finish just with one story. It's a story that you'll know well. Earlier, we chatted about Northern Ireland and the story of the island of Ireland and about how George Mitchell, that American former senator and diplomat, could come in as an objective third party and be a peacemaker to two sets of people, two parties that could not have been further apart, that could not have been more in opposite directions, that could not have been more separated without any hope of being reconciled. But there once was a group of people that was even further away, even further apart. And I'm talking about the people of God and their God. The people of Israel and their God. We were once even further away from God. We were once destined to be separate from God. We were in rebellion and we were set to spend not just all of this life, but all of the life to come separate from our heavenly Father. But here's the truth, church. Praise the Lord for Jesus, our great peacemaker. He is our great peacemaker. And let me tell you why. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says that he, and this was a prophetic declaration about the Messiah, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our weaknesses. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, the Lord Jesus came into this world. He lived a perfect life. He was arrested. He was tried. He was convicted. He was crucified. And he died a death that he did not deserve. And he did it so that we could have peace. And on the third day, he rose again. And he appeared to his disciples and many people on the earth in those days. And he raised up into heaven after that. And we know that one day he's going to come again. And he's going to come in the fullness of his glory. And everything that is not right in that moment will be made right in that moment. But until then, until Jesus comes again, church, he has left us his peace. And we are to carry this peace 
as his peacemakers, as his ambassadors into every situation. The Spirit of God, alive in our hearts and in our bodies. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. The Spirit of God, alive in our hearts and in our bodies. We do not get to keep it to ourselves. We do not get to keep it to ourselves. There is a world outside these doors, church, and they need the peace of God. They need the Spirit of God just as much as we do. And we, we know that we are in Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. And I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible says that nothing is going to separate me from that love. So therefore, nothing is going to separate us from that peace. If you are in need of this peace today, wherever you are on your journey, it is available to you. The peace of God is available to you. It is simple as you're saying the words and welcoming him in. The same peace that Peter saw when Jesus looked at him. The same peace that Zacchaeus saw when Jesus looked at him. The same peace experienced by the woman at the well. The woman with the issue of blood. The blind, the, the lame, the leper, the sick. Anybody that came into, into contact with Jesus experienced that peace. And that same peace, church is available to us today. Is there any joy in the house for that statement this morning? The peace of God is available to us. I want to invite us to stand. We are going to respond in worship. That great song that we sung earlier, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, true through the fiercest drought and storm. And here it is. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ we stand, church. Here in the love of Christ we stand. So we're going to worship just now. In a moment we're going to come back and we're going to pray for people to receive the Spirit of God. So please don't rush away. But for now, guys, let's